funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. gentlemen welcome to another episode of the silver screen video and folks what an episode we have we have a great guest uh, i will let jacob tell you about that this is jonathan as usual my co-host jacob jacob who do we got on today we got uh, none else none, none else none other than uh, mike d'angelo a brilliant film critic uh we talked to him about one of the most exciting uh, directors working today marin ade and uh, it's a great conversation. Mike is uh, uh, a critic slash genius, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun to talk to him about the about uh, her and uh, just movies in general. Absolutely, and 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 Marin the Day is someone I wasn't super familiar with, so it was a massive blind spot. And I am so glad that Mike wanted to talk about this director for this episode because it was great to hear him talk about it and go into detail and it was great for me to experience the movies and uh, yeah it was just a great episode all around uh and folks don't forget our patreon silver screen video after dark it's just another product that uh we're giving you guys a little more relaxed having some fun kind of like the video stores close little uh just talking about some films and other random stuff uh Jacob, what do you think? How would you how would you pitch the silver screen video after dark? Yeah, you know we got the we we got the above we got the silver screen video right. We're an institution now, right? We got we got major guests coming on. We got you know directors episodes that we're doing, but the after dark is a little you know like you said a little more laid back, a little more relaxed, a little more just kind of us making each other watch movies and just shooting the shit about what we've been watching. Um, you know, kick our feet up. You know, sit back with a uh, delicious beverage and uh, just shoot the shit about movies. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's different than the main feed. Yeah, because honestly, who doesn't want to hang out of the video store after hours and just talk about cinema and random movie bullshit? So, Hell yeah. Yeah, so guys, check that out. That link is in our show notes. It's also on Instagram, Twitter, you know where to find it. So aside from that, let's get down to business with a great guest, Mike D'Angelo. Mike, thanks again for coming on. We really enjoyed it. And uh, Jacob, do you have anything to add before we get to it? No, let's get to it. Folks, our guest this week is a brilliant film critic whose work you can find at the AV Club, the Dissolve, rest in peace, uh, Las Vegas Weekly, and at his essential website, uh, the man who viewed too much. Please welcome to the show, Mike D'Angelo. Hey, Mike. Hey, how's it going? It's going good, man. We're uh, we're really psyched to have you on. Um, oh, yeah, you. welcome, Mike. Thanks. I uh, I should note just regard regarding what you just said that I am not writing for Las Vegas Weekly anymore. Oh, that right. Job has passed, but there is an archive of stuff that I wrote for them for like eleven or twelve years. It's still sure. out there. Sure. Right. Um, and just for anybody, and we'll put the link uh to your to your website, the man who viewed too much, of course, in the description. But uh anything you want to know about Mike, uh you can check out there. Uh details on his Patreon, uh recurring gigs at the at the A V Club, archives of previous writing. Uh you have a great letterbox that's a good follow. And of course uh Twitter Right. Um, 
so yeah, I, I've been reading your work for, for quite a while now. Um, as, uh, as part of the AV club and then the dissolve, um, you've been doing this for a while, man. You've been doing this for, uh, I, I, I saw it read on your Wikipedia page that you, it says you are one of the first notable online film critics. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I started writing online reviews in the summer of 1995 at a time when almost nobody I knew was even online at that time. The only reason I was online was that I happened to be in college. So I had a website that I was able to construct through the email address and so forth that I was given by NYU. Um, but I didn't really, like nobody was really reading it for a while (laughs) because most of my friends were not, you know, they might've had email at that point, but that was about it. In fact, when I first started doing this, there was no graphical browser yet that actually graphical browsers came into being shortly after I began writing my reviews. But originally I was navigating everything through text apps. Yeah. There was one called links L Y N X. Um, that was just pressing arrow keys to get from one hyperlink to the next. And, uh, Oh my God. I, don't, I can't yeah. even like, <laughs> I can't even like picture in my mind what that even looks like. Um, it's, it's pretty, I mean, the thing is I still use a lot of that ancient technology just because I'm used to it. Like you, if you would be amazed if you saw my email, which is not, I don't have Gmail or anything like that. I'm on a ancient New York based ISP called panics.com, which is actually the third oldest ISP in the world. I recently discovered. Oh my God. Uh, oh wow. That's nuts. Yeah. And uh, and I'm dialing in through an ancient sort of shell interface that's even hard to, to it's Unix. It's <laughs> there's no reason to still be doing it that way. I only do it because I'm used to it, and I, I resist change. So hey, whatever works, you yeah. know. Um. But yeah, the yeah. So I became so I started writing film reviews just for fun in '95, and then I started doing it semi-professionally in 97 which my first gig was uh for entertainment weekly right back then yeah I, i'm i'm kind of a uh i'm kind of weird in this way that i am kind of like a of a, a like film criticism like fan a little bit because um that's not I, weird uh right? not to me anyway <laughs> well yeah that's that's good to to meet a fellow uh uh critic head i guess um but yeah, it's, I don't know why, but like some of my first, like really like reading about like the world of like cultural criticism and art and stuff came as a result of movie critics. Um, oh, same here. I mean, you should, I, I was for a while when I lived in New York, I was a member of the New York film critic circle and you can't imagine what a thrill that was for me when I was inducted in and I got to actually be in a room with, you know, Jay Hoberman and David Denby and Andrew Saris and people that I had been reading for, you know, decades at that point. Or right, 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 right. Same, so very much the same. Andrew Saris. Holy shit, man. Yeah, I would, uh, yeah, I'd be geeking out a little bit over that. What, uh, yeah. any, any Andrew Saris stories? Did you ever meet him? Um, I mean, I was in the room with him, but he was only briefly a member before he retired after i joined as i recall so there was not a lot of overlap um those meetings are not as exciting as people kind of assume that they might be unfortunately i had i had very sort of idealized notions of like going in and there would be this sort of algonquin round table debate that would happen every year about the awards that's not what happens you just kind of go in and it's this long laborious uh secret ballot 
thing in which there's very little conversation. People make some wisecracks. And so there wasn't a lot of conversation. I got to like see people, but I never really got to meet them exactly for the most part. Right, right, right. I got you. I wanted to let you know, I was going through your website and um, just looking through some of your top 10 lists and stuff. And Mm -hmm. in 2017, um, you're one of the few people I saw give any love to Thoroughbreds. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, I was a huge fan of that movie. That and uh, I'm a, it is fantastic. And I'm a huge S. Craig Zaylor fan. Mm-hmm. And you gave a lot of love. I loved your review on uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99. Oh, thank you. Yeah, right. that was that was a film that I thought was misinterpreted by a lot of people. Although I've come around to the idea that he probably does have more sort of reactionary leanings than I initially gave him credit for. For a while, I thought that was sort of a strategic thing that he was doing and now i'm i think that is part of his own ideology but i still think it's more interesting than certain people allow or give him credit for yeah it's it's um oh you can go ahead jacob i was just gonna say yeah like i think um i I don't know (laughs) i don't know how you take this I, i i don't i don't mean this in uh any kind of negative i mean this is completely positive i feel like you have um I feel like you have some unique taste, I think, among kind of like mainstream film critics, I guess. And I guess what I mean by that is like when I would see that you write, you would write a review for the dissolve or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, I wonder if they got to review this. Right. Oh, it's D'Angelo. Like he's going to be really hard on him, you know, like. (laughs) Like um, that that is my reputation. It's not like I'm not aware of that. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh but but I, I mean I love that. I you're almost like a like a lighter version. I hope you don't I hope you don't hate this comparison, but you're almost like a a lighter version of kind of Armin White in a yeah, way. Like I felt that coming. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I love I, Armin White. I love that's not an insult at all. I love Armin okay. White. I think he's brilliant. I I I find him maddening a lot of the time because sure, I don't sure. I would like to think I I have similarly idiosyncratic opinions i would like to think that i i have a different sort of tone than he often will take where he oh of course yeah. he has he he kind of openly says that that people who disagree with him are morons <laughs> uh, i don't feel that way like i often in fact one of my great frustrations as a professional film critic um, at the AV Club, for example, and I love the AV Club and I've written for them for many years. The one thing that they insist on that I dislike is they have a blanket policy for the most part. There are rare exceptions, but they have a blanket policy against the use of the first person in reviews. And oh, I, under- wow. I understand why they do that. And the idea is they're trying to dissuade writers from being self-indulgent. And, right. um, and it's easier rather than take it on a case-by-case basis, as I might suggest, they find it easier to just say, don't use the first person, find another way to phrase it. Right. And, and often you can, but it frustrates me because there are many, many instances in which I want to confess ignorance of certain things or acknowledge that my own opinion is in the minority or could be considered bizarre and i do that in like on on letterboxd or or wherever if i'm writing not on in a non-professional sort of way i will often do that i will often qualify it and say you should ignore me i didn't (laughs) like this film at all but it's well worth seeing and i would highly recommend that you do so that's harder to do in a professional review where you're not allowed to use the word i right 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 so that that's 
that's actually really, really fascinating because yeah, like it, it's almost like that, um, just that professional gig, like kind of, uh, prevents you from like putting a fuller picture of your own critical view, I guess. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's all very subjective. And, sure. and I, I think it's ridiculous not to acknowledge that it's subjective and to pretend that you're being really authoritative in any way because you're not. It's, and it's especially true in cases where I really just want to say, like, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll not have the knowledge base that I wish I did and I don't have time to go get it. So right. I want to just be able to say, I haven't seen, like, a perfect example um, I just wrote, this was just on Patreon, uh, a review of which um, Ferrara film. I actually just wrote about both Ms. 45 and King of New York, which I rewatched. Um, and I can't remember which of those two reviews it was, but I made reference to the fact that there are early Ferrara films that I still have never seen. I've never seen China Girl. I've never seen Fear City. I've never seen Cat Chaser. And it was important for me to say he may have done this because I was I was... Uh, referring to something that he did as being unusual for him. And I felt necessary to say, now there are other films he's made that I haven't seen. So maybe this is not that unusual and I just unaware of it. Right, and again, right. that that's hard to say if you can't talk about yourself. Right. So, right. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I love it. I, I think it's, um, I, I think it's a great, because um, if you're not going to have these kind of idiosyncratic, points of view you know like literally what's the point you know like i, I love reading um david thompson of course is one of my favorite film critics you know obviously he's great he's yeah a genius but like i love how he will just like he will just fucking drive by some like <laughs> critically acclaimed like director or actor and you're just like dude he's not even explaining himself and like i love that because it's just it shows like your proclivities you know like uh, and your biases and all that shit where he'll just be like Tarkovsky's boring, you know, and then like, you're like, well, wait, what? I mean, you're going to expand on that? Like, I but, it, but it, it's, it's idiosyncratic and it, it makes for a more compelling voice than to be like, well, he is a very acclaimed director and to kind of give the boilerplate, whatever, you know, I, 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 I get bored very easily by people who seem to follow the party line at all times. Right. Right. At the same time, I, I would prefer expansion in situations like that rather than just saying so-and-so is boring and leaving it at that right. that's not that illuminating so if i'm if you're going to have a, a contrarian opinion back it up is my feeling but right. at the same time i don't i i am suspicious of critics and there are some and some of them are even friends of mine uh, i'm not going to name any names because <laughs> i don't want to offend anyone but there are people out there who are so locked in to the critical consensus at all times that I feel like part of that is fear of, right. of looking dumb. Right. right. <laughs> so I think that there are people who I think of as sort of temperature takers and they kind of look around and see which way the wind is blowing and then they blow in that direction as well. So yeah. as not to risk alienating anyone. And um, I just don't have that sensibility. <laughs> no, I'm perfectly I, I, happy saying like, mm. Everybody loves this, and I think it's garbage, and that's just how it is. No, I I, I couldn't agree more. That's um, when I say I love film criticism. That is the kind of film criticism I'm talking about, like the the kind of idiosyncratic stuff, as opposed to like I remember I, I don't know what year it was, but when the uh, the movie The Artist won Best Picture and everything, I remember yep. Glenn Kenny talking about like like because Movie City News I think does this thing every year where they like compile like all the critics like 
top 10 lists and, you know, basically compile them all and do some data and figure out what's the number one or whatever. And Glenn Kenny was like referencing that. And he was like, there's no fucking way that <laughs> like all of these critics like overwhelmingly agreed that the artist was the best movie of whatever year that was. Right. And it's like, it's true. Like, you know, like you just be like, you just read a lot of like little capsules that are like, it's a great, you know, ode to classic Hollywood. And it's like, what? Like, or how do I know you didn't get, just get a check from Harvey Weinstein, you know, <laughs> like, or, or extra access to somebody, you know? See, that's, that's surreal to me because in my peer group, which is mostly other critics, like nobody cares about the artist. It's not considered even one of the year's like right. 20 or 30 best films, much less that year's best. Right, right. So that's, that's in my mind, that's the received opinion, which is probably incorrect, but I live in a bubble. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it was, I think it was, I think Movie City News is maybe counting their, uh, their critics, uh, counting who they count as critics, you know, very generously. Uh, right. Without, without being unkind, I guess. But okay, well, this is my own. This is my own personal thing. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are very bored with uh, <laughs> film critic talk, but uh, you know, we talked about what director to kind of uh, uh, do for the episode, and you mentioned that one of your famous directors or one of your favorite directors currently working is uh, Marin. Ad- Am I getting the name? Is it a day? You know what? I don't know. And okay. I tried to find out in preparation for talking about her. Because I was like, I should find out how her name is pronounced. Right. And it was it was maddening because what I did was I went on YouTube and, and looked at lots of little uh, videos of Q&As. And in almost every case, they start after she was introduced. <laughs> so <laughs> the part where she would, where they would have said, please welcome. Mar-, and then that part is missing. So I finally found one. I think it's a day. I think okay. um, I had been kind of saying Ada for many years, but right. appar- apparently that's wrong. But maybe it's not. Maybe the person I heard was incorrect. I'm going to say Ade because that's what I heard today. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, well, it's yeah. it's funny. It's funny we're talking about that because I, I wanted to know as well. So I did like some digging yesterday on IMDb mm-hmm. and it's actually in the trivia. Oh, is it? Listed. Yeah, and it's Marine Ade. Ade is how they say it. Marine. Yeah, is, so. it, is it? It's Marine with a long e. Yeah, it's well. It has M A R dash I N. Um, Marin. I, so, I would say that's Marin. Yeah, Marin, uh, and then Ade A H dash D A Y is how it's pronounced. So, yeah, Marin Ade is what the person who introduced her said in the video that I watched. Yeah. So let's assume so that that's makes, correct. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. But yes, I love. Marin Ade, she has made three films, and I think all three of them are brilliant, which is rare. Um, there, right. there are really very few cases of people where I would say their first three films are all great. I'm trying the Coen Brothers, Ryan Johnson, who else? Orson Welles. There aren't many examples in, in, that I can think of off the top of my head. I, uh, you know, let's, let's start off talking about this, uh, the forest for the trees. Cause I had actually never seen this before. Um, mm. I, I think most people probably most like people who aren't, you know, um, following like the film, uh, festival circuit probably saw this after everyone else, or probably even after Tony Erdman. Um, right. but I was kind of astonished by how good that, I mean, this is essentially a student film. Yep. And it's, yeah. uh, it, it's, 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 it's incredible. It's, yeah. uh, yeah. I don't know what, what's, what's, uh, what's some of your takes on uh, forest for the trees? 
That was one that I saw. That was I mean, it was the first of her films that I saw. I saw it at uh, Toronto Film Festival 2004 on the very last day. It had actually kind of rescued that festival for me. I had been having kind of a not so great year, um, mostly because a lot of the films that I was excited about were also in the New York Film Festival, and I lived in New York at the time, so I would hold off on those and see them back in New York. Sure. So. Um, and I went to see Forest for the Trees kind of on a whim. I think I had read uh, a rave review in maybe Cinemascope magazine, I want to say. Somebody had liked it. But I didn't know, you know, it was her first film. I didn't know who she was. I did not know that it was a thesis film going right. in. I found that out only later. And just <laughs> it just went in cold and was, yeah, was really, I, I think it's the least of the three, but that's, you know, that's a relative thing. I still think it was one of my favorite films that year. Sure. Um, so for those who haven't seen it, it was uh, what it basically, <laughs> what I described it at the time um, was, uh, I think I said something to the effect of, because uh, they have Midnight Madness at Toronto and, you know, films like Saw and Hostel and so forth. And I was like, right. no, no horror film could possibly be as cringe worthy to sit through. <laughs> <laughs> as the sort of like emotional violence that happens in this movie. And it's about a young woman who moves to a new town to become a school teacher. Um, she's just ended a relationship. She strikes up a friendship with somebody that she meets, another woman that she meets by chance. And in, in the film is basically just a portrait of her sort of toxic neediness as she attempts to, to, cement this friendship with somebody in ways that just demonstrate no understanding of like social conventions or niceties whatsoever. Right. Right. John, I know you really like this movie quite a bit. In fact, you, you said it was your favorite, right? Yeah. Of, of all three, oh, really? I think, yeah, I think this is my favorite, like in the weirdest kind of ways, because it's rare that you watch a movie that you enjoy simultaneously feeling like it's punishing you. Yes. Well, I mean, and, actually, that describes a lot of my favorite movies. But. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, it, you know, it's crazy. I uh, The way that she was able to put loneliness in a film like this, just, just like it seeps into your bones. Yeah. It was It was awkward. And even the times where you were supposed to laugh, I couldn't, I couldn't really. Like it was almost like a, holding your breath type of, of movie for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's hard to, to watch just because she does everything wrong at every turn. And she's so well-intentioned. Like at no point is she, 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 she just wants to be liked so badly. And, but everything she does drives other people away, including her students to a large extent. Um, who she has great difficulty keeping control of. And there's a whole other part of the film that's basically just about her haplessness as a teacher. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm struck with, and of course this is something that she returns to um, uh, in her next two movies, but like the, you know, when we say like a movie is character focused, you know, mm -hmm. like, I feel like that's a, that's a rare thing. And B when it is not a rare thing, it's usually, there's usually just something missing. The film feels like myopic or like, you know, maybe there's um, too much focus on like an actor's, you know, supposedly great performance or whatever. And this is like this kind of unique uh, collaboration between director and actor that like, 
I don't know. You rarely see this. It, it's a, such a complex portrait of a, like if you were going to describe her and you were going to describe the situation, it would take you a while, you know, like yeah. it's like she, yeah, she is very, very lonely. And I feel like this movie hits different in, you know, 2020, you know, the loneliest age that we live in, you know? Right. And, and, and so I was kind of more sympathetic to her, I think maybe than I, you know, would have been in maybe 2002 or whenever it was released. But right. then she also is so like needy and so just inappropriate. And like, you get why people are like kind of pushing away and why she doesn't really have, you know, all of her kind of energies to connect with people are just being turned away at every turn because she's kind of annoying in a weird way. It's, I don't know, this kind of complex character portrait is something that, I don't know, something that, that very few directors are either interested in or able to do. You know? Yeah. And I've never seen that actress. Her name is Eva Lobau. Um, she has worked in other films. I've none that I've ever seen. I've, this is the only role I've ever seen her play. So she is entirely that character right. in my mind. And I'm sure that's not what she's like in real life at all. I'm sure that it's, it's a great performance, but it's one of those, I don't know if you've had this phenomenon where, and sometimes it even, it lingers even after the person becomes extremely famous. Like the most, the example that I always bring up is it was many, many years for me. The first time I saw John Goodman was in David Byrne's film, True Stories. Have you seen True Stories? No, no. Okay. And he plays this sort of lovable character named Lewis, who, you know, it's a musical, so he sings a number and he's, uh, he's just, he's also a very lonely guy who's trying to find a, a mate. Uh, anyway, he was that character for me for years after that. It took, I don't know, four or five years and like another dozen roles before he stopped being that guy from two stories in my head. Right. Right. Um, I, I didn't watch TV back then, so I didn't see Roseanne until much later, but anyway, right. so, so oh. Eva LeBau is, has, is one of those actors for me where I just really think of her as being um, gosh, I can't remember the character's name because it's been a while since I last saw it. Right, right. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't, I don't know the character's name either. Actually, I think it's, I think it starts with an M. Melanie. I just remembered. Okay. Um, yeah. So I just think of her as being Melanie, which is you know a testament to how utterly credible she is in that role. But I mean, part of what I was thinking earlier, knowing we were going to be talking about Maranade, and I was like, what if they ask you what? what is singular about her as a filmmaker? What is your answer? They'll probably ask you that. And so, I, so I tried to come up with an answer. And what I came up with was that since I came up with one, I might as well share it with you. Wait, um, hold on, Michael, let me interrupt you here and ask you, okay. um, if you had to say something that you think is singular about her, as a filmmaker, <laughs> what do you think you would say? I think having spent some time in contemplation, um, she has this fascinating, um, amalgam that she uses of both exaggeration and naturalism. So her films all tend to have premises. This is less true of everyone else to a certain degree, but like certainly like uh, Tony Erdman is a film that, that there was going to be for a while. I think it's been scuttled, but there was going to be a Hollywood remake of it for a while with Jack Nicholson playing the dad. And you can see that. You can, I mean, I think it's a terrible idea, but I can totally understand why Hollywood executives would watch that movie and think we can turn this into a hit right. by dumb, dumbing it down for an American audience. It has a sort of high concept premise that could be an Adam Sandler movie or something if you wanted it to be. Um, and 
the same is kind of true of you could make Forest for the Trees a comedy if you wanted to. It's right. not at all, but it could be. Um, but her films, while they have humor in them, especially Tony Erdman has plenty of humor in it, but she's so specific. She takes these ideas that are pushed just slightly beyond the realm of plausibility, perhaps like Melanie's personality and forest for the trees is quite extreme. Right. What the, what the dad does in Tony Erdman is quite extreme. Even the couple in everybody else and their hatred of one or the fear of looking bourgeois is kind of pushed just beyond what would be believable almost, but it is believable because all of the details are utterly credible and thought through and just sort of remarkably precise. And that's, it's that combination that I think is both rare and, and cherishable really. Right. So where you almost have like an element of kind of exaggeration or expressionism uh, but the kind of emotion behind it is really real and true to life. Or right. I would even say, you know, aside from that, like I would even say that the the filmmaking style is also very naturalistic. Like, oh yeah, yeah, she's not expressionistic formally at all. Right. That I, I think I think she has gotten better and better as a uh, visually, I should say, um, as she's gone along. I think each film has looked better. Well. Actually, I don't know if I believe that. I think everyone else actually might be my favorite of the three. That might just be because it's shot in Sardinia and Sardinia is gorgeous. <laughs> right, right. So <laughs> I might that might actually be the reason. But uh, and also, obviously, The Forest for the Trees was shot for like $20 or whatever it was. So right. um, on very primitive uh, video, I think. Um, but but I think the visual palette is is uh, almost of a type in a way in all three of them, because like especially at the time this was made, like it, um, it looks like kind of European movies, like shot on digital around the turn of the century, you know? And whereas everyone else looks like, uh, you know, the European kind of fantasy movie, like uh, I'm thinking just of like, I am love. Oh, right. Yeah. Or that movie with uh, Rafe Fiennes from a couple of years ago. Um, Bigger splash. Yeah. Bigger splash, you yeah. know, movies like that. And then of course, Tony Erdman is the very, you know, kind of modern, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching the point a little too thin, but I feel like they're kind of all three not doing anything spectacular visually. They're kind of they're kind of playing in in the same palette that that movies are, are like popular at the time. I mean, popular in the context of like, you know, European cinema. Yeah, no, I would agree. It's it, it's she basically that's not her primary focus, I would say. Right. She's basically just trying to be as as functional as possible, and she's privileging the performances and the ideas more right. than the, the formal aspects, which is fine. I like both kinds of movies. Um, sure, sure. There, there are defi- I definitely have some friends who, if the movie's not doing anything interesting formally, they kind of lose interest in it themselves. But right. um, I can go either way. So... I think what what blew my mind most about about this movie was the fact that it's her debut right. and she was able to capture something about being human that is so rarely done on film. Like just I don't know, it was just one of those movies where um I, I when it first started I was like looking at it the way it was shot, obviously like you guys have said low budget uh you know basically a borderline student film. Right. And it kind of gave me the feel like, oh, this is going to be like 
in the first five minutes, I was like, oh, this is going to be like one of those awkward, like British comedies. Right. Like, because I didn't know it was, I didn't, I didn't look up a genre or anything when I put it on. I just put it on to watch it. And, uh, and yeah, so obviously it takes about maybe another five minutes to realize that is not the case at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's just, cause I watched this one last, uh, cause I accidentally watched them in backwards order. So I started with her newest film and worked my way back. Um, did you, so yeah, did I, you just now watch all three of them for the first time? I did. Oh, yeah, how this exciting. Is my first time watching. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, it was something else like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, Tony Erdman had been on my list for a while to watch. I just never got around to it. And oddly enough, that Jack Nicholson remake you're referring to, I think, was when him and Alexander Payne were looking into uh, making it, if memory serves correctly. And that's when I really heard about it for the first time. Okay. Um, Yeah, because, I mean, that's kind of like if they were, do I guess feel it necessary to do an American remake? Um, Alexander Payne, maybe, but it would still probably be a disaster. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm very skeptical about all of those projects. Really, I mean, there have, oh yeah, there same have, here. There have been cases where it worked, rarely, but I I would generally prefer that they go away. So I was happy that this one kind of did. Although there was a part of me that wanted to see Jack Nicholson in a movie again, <laughs> but maybe just not that movie. Yeah, because it's just strange. Because obviously this will come as a shock to no one, but it's like studios typically miss the point right. of of films like that. Yeah. So it would just yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It makes me think of the uh, the remake of Force Majeure. Uh, oh, which I never saw. What was that called? Know, Down, like, Downhill? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I watched it. I watched it on a plane, and it still managed to, to make, like, it didn't even take my mind off the fact that I was flying. <laughs> like, it it was <laughs> not very good. That's That's tragic. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got two ridiculously talented leads, but it was a movie you shouldn't have touched because you cannot capture those sensibilities under this like American guys. Like it's, it's next to impossible. Yeah. No, I, I, that, that was one where I could just see that it was not going to work. There was no way. And I really feel the same about Tony Erdman. I'm just looking at it like the whole, I can just think of too many parts of that film that would not work in an American context. Like the whole, thing about her being in Bucharest and the the sort of corporate aspect of that film is something that I am confident Hollywood would feel the need to jettison and it's a crucial aspect of the movie well but, even if even if they did jettison it like I promise you they would make it look cool like you know what I mean like <laughs> like like I literally I, I'm I'm more convinced of that than I'm convinced of anything that they would be like instead of showing like her life as kind of like uh you know just kind of miserable and plain and not really anything going on or whatever right. they would treat her as like a silicon valley girl boss who right. like you, you know like like a hundred percent they would make it look cool and it would not be about the kind of soul-sucking effects of like neoliberalism and know? they would give her the clumsiness right. that those, those female characters must always have <laughs> that, that, <laughs> to demonstrate that, was- that they are fallible as they trip on something Right, right. That would be the only flaw that she has is yeah. that she trips on things from time to time and then she reconnects with her father and suddenly she's not tripping so much anymore. Yeah. yeah. Also, I don't know how a, an American film would handle the whole nudity issue at the end, which, again, is also crucial. And uh, I think we're just too prudish for oh, that. Oh, yeah. I think you got to scuttle that. I think that would just, yeah. I think that would that would just be a deleted scene uh, right. or, or never filmed. Um, but, but let's transition into everyone else because 
everyone which is, else, my, which is my favorite by the way of the three yeah you know i i saw it whenever it came out and it was the first uh, movie of hers that i'd seen and i've never heard of her or, or or thought of her as a director and it was just like oh yeah people are saying this movie is good and i didn't quite know what to make of it and then i don't know rewatching it i kind of realized how complex and uh i don't know it's hard to talk about her movies in that one in particular it's hard to talk about them glibly you know because they're so it's they're such complicated character portraits and the portrait i mean basically for anybody who hasn't seen it in, in the listing uh it's about a couple who are just kind of a couple of layabouts uh who are vacationing in sardinia and um it's a kind of about the disassembly of a relationship, but also kind of the weird rebuilding of one. I don't know. What, what, uh, what are your thoughts on everyone else? I, that, that is a film that I have a great deal of difficulty describing and actually had a great deal of difficulty reviewing when I, when I did review it. I, I wrote that one for Nashville scene, as I recall. Yeah. I read that one. Yeah. Yeah. And it was not easy. Um, Cause it's not, it's not one thing. It's not really the other two force for the trees and Tony Erdman have, pitchable sort of premises that you can right. summarize very easily every everybody else does not it's really it's it's basically just a portrait of this relationship but the relationship is fearsomely complex right to the point where when the movie ends i still and i've watched the movie at least three times i don't know how i feel about what happens at the right. end of it um there's it's it's a very open question whether this couple should remain together or not. It's not clear whether they're going to, although it's kind of suggested that they might. Um, and it's not clear in my own head whether that's a good idea or not, even after, right. you know, two hours. Um, but also the film spends a great deal of time um, comparing and contrasting them with other couples, um, not only in our minds, but in their own minds. The film, to a large degree, is about how they perceive their relationship in opposition to other relationships that they find either detestable or worthy of emulating. Or So there's one couple that they think is like bourgeois and kind of tacky and mm-hmm. are trying to, although one of the, the man in the couple kind of is more interested than the woman in, in being friendly with them for professional reasons. And then there's another sort of more bohemian couple that the woman is more interested in trying to impress. She's a record executive and thinks of herself as being more hip. But they both are kind of terrified of being ordinary and so are constantly trying to define themselves in opposition to other people. The problem with doing that, and this is where I think the movie is kind of brilliant, is that the whole basis of romantic relationships in particular is like those emotions are kind of generic in a way they they almost have to be which is not to say that each relationship is not very particular and specific and unique in its own way but things that you find repellent in other couples are often actually important to embrace in your own relationship or you end up going too far in the other direction into like irony that gets in the way of actual feeling and there's a whole brilliant sequence in this movie set to a willie nelson song that's kind of about that whole tangle of emotion where they're singing along with it in a 
deeply ironic sort of way. And I don't know. You can hear as I try to talk about the film how difficult the film is to talk about. And that's on the one hand what I love so much about it. And on the other hand, probably frustrating for other people who are listening. No, I agree. It's um it it's it's very I don't know. I feel like when I finished it, uh, because I honestly thought this was gonna end up being my favorite one, but then I watched the final one and, and it changed. But um it says so many more interesting things about relationships than like a movie like marriage story. Oh, I like, yeah, I agree. There's so much more complexity there. Like the scene you're talking about with the Willie Nelson song is great. Like that the, it's probably my second or third favorite scene in the film. My favorite one is when they're sitting at the table originally with Hans and like, he's basically being like this kind of condescending type person talking about, um, her boyfriend and she responds in a way that the boyfriend felt was inappropriate. Right. And it was such a great scene. And I definitely agree with you about just being like, when you start looking at these aspects of other people's relationships that you hate, like that, like it needs to be examined. Otherwise at some point there will be this like weird sort of implosion. Yeah. And I feel like we kind of witness it throughout the film because it, it I don't even know how to describe their relationship. It was just such um, I don't know. I can't even say it was a train wreck happening in front of us per se, because it's just, it's more complex than that. That would be uh, too reductive. I feel. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, and the whole thing, like the, the, the dynamic is kind of set up right from the beginning before they even start interacting because the film starts with this sequence of, uh, um, gosh, I, why can't I ever remember characters names? Gitty, I think is her name. Giddy. Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, Yeah. And she's talking to, I think it's her niece. It's a little girl for sure, but I think it's her niece. Yeah. And she's basically goading the kid into insulting her, like asking, (laughs) like asking her, what don't you like about me? (laughs) Just like, just a sort of like microcosm of what's going to be happening between the main couple for the entire movie, but sort of like in this different context that throws you off guard immediately just because it's so unusual. Um, and and yeah, because she makes her say like hate me yeah. like and then she like makes her shoot her like right. <laughs> it was it was a very bizarre unfold like like scene full unfolding right and then that gets sort of echoed at the very end with play acting that goes on there which I won't talk about specifically because people should experience it for themselves but I love the ending of this film so so much um, even though again I don't really know how I feel about what occurs and uh, and the future of this relationship or if there should be one. Yeah, I agree. I thought like, obviously no spoilers on the ending, but, uh, but I, I don't know how I feel about it. And, and I was left wondering in terms of like, what, what really would be the correct thing for them to do? Like, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. Jacob, uh, what do you think? Cause you haven't said anything. Well, what I, what I, I was kind of thinking about is like, I, I think identifying this movie as like very, very complex, you know, and it's, it's, it's almost the kind of thing that you, it's almost the kind of thing that you have to, um, really pay attention to, I guess. Um, and, and kind of like, uh, like pay attention to every, like, you know, every, like, section of every performance you know kind of every like look and every you know kind of action of every actor to kind of really understand what's going on and even still there's i don't know it's a, it's a really complex portrait so it's impossible to kind of get one read on it but uh, not to be too prescriptive but i kind of wanted everybody i wanted you guys to 
to kind of tell me what your like your read on it is. If you had to pick like one thread that you kind of think it's about, because my theory, and I'm not saying this is like the only reading of the film or even a correct reading, but it's just my, my own personal one from just rewatching it just now is, um, and I, this is not original. I'm getting this from, um, a critic, I can't remember who, but they described it as uh, kind of like the awful truth, the Cary Grant uh, huh. uh, movie. That's kind of a um, uh, what he called a remarriage comedy, right. right? Which is where there's a couple who are together, and the entire movie is them kind of uh, going through all of these plot devices, and to finally realize that they almost have to be together, that there is no other choice, you know, that that is, they have created a world for themselves that, um, for better or worse, they just have to continue. Uh, they have to continue like living together and being together because there really is no other option. Um, so that was kind of my, uh, read and take on it, uh, that I, that I took away from the ending where like you have this couple and you think it's going to be about, the falling apart of this relationship. And in some ways it is, but it's also the way that I read the ending was these two idiots are made for each other. Right. You know? Like, and I, don't, I don't mean they're actual idiots, but like the, these two people are made for each other. Like they're, they're all of their little quirks and little eccentricities and stuff. They are the only kind of people who could be, they're the only people that either one of them could possibly find even a sliver of happiness with. They seem to understand each other on some level and understand each other's like insecurities. And sometimes that can lead towards like really, really toxic relationship stuff. But also it can lead to like, well, this is the only person that really even makes sense for me to say, spend the rest of my life with or spend 10 years with or whatever. So that was like my own personal reading on, I'm not saying it's correct, but that's, that's like what I took away from my most recent viewing. Um, so I don't know. What, what do you guys think? What's if, if you had to, if somebody had to peg you down into like, yeah, it's not just complex. What's your take? What do you really think about these people? What would, what would you say? Well, first of all, I, I want to say, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. I, I think that's all accurate at this, but it's just more complex. Like that's the word that I keep coming back to because course, I think, that, I, I think that's all true. But at the same time, I think there's an equal amount of, evidence that it's not true. <laughs> so, like, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, bo it's both at the same time. Um, I mean, basically what I, I think I often look to titles to help. Cause I think most people are um, not most, but at least a lot of people when, when, when the title's not obvious um, there's, there's usually a clue there about what the film is supposed to be about. So ev the fact that it's called everyone else or Alla Anderen in German, I don't speak German, but I think that's right. <laughs> um, that's kind of what I have always clued into or keyed into, I guess is what I mean. Um, and so I tend to perceive it as a film that is, as I said, primarily about their deep fear of being ordinary Right. Um, and the relationship itself being ordinary and various ways in which they sort of rebel against that in self-destructive ways. But that at the same time, as you say, they're both sort of self-destructive in a similar sort of compatible sense right. that makes it that makes it work sort of not exactly. 
<laughs> work, work in the loosest sense. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. It's really, you know, like, I mean, you don't, I mean, but the thing is there, part of what's so truthful about this is there are relationships that are like that. I have my own father and stepmother um, who have been married since my, my, my own parents got divorced in like 75 and my dad remarried in 76. So they've been together now for decades and their relationship works in some right. fundamental way. They're still together. They still love each other. I have no doubt of that. They fight constantly. They are <laughs> at each other's throats all the time in a way that I would never be able to tolerate. I right. would never I would never be with somebody with whom I had that much open rancor all right. the time. But it works for them somehow. And right. I've I've long since given up trying to understand how they do it. I just accept that they do. And the relationship between Chris and Giddy and everyone else is very much the same. It's just something that that they have had to accept and therefore we also have to accept. Right, right. It's like uh like look, you know, down to brass tacks, like you you, you spending life with another person sometimes is better than not spending life with another person. And there are a million different ways to do that. And this is one of them. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, it may not be for everybody, but you know, this is, um, yeah, I don't know, John, what did, what did you think about um, kind of like going a little bit aside from just being com saying like it is complex or whatever, like I feel like um, I've been doing um, like what, what's your take on these characters? Like, I know we talked a little bit off pot about how you thought they were both insufferable. Like, like these are the kinds of movies I feel like it's fun to like really like get down and dirty and be like, what do you think about these people? You know, what, 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 what do you think about them and their relationship? You know? Well, I mean something that might be a bit like oversimplifying things and, and all that, but I, that, when I watched it, what came to mind first and foremost after I finished it was this astounding level of toxic codependency. Yeah. Like, and in the scene where, where he goes to lay down with her and she says, like, do you hate me sometimes? That's a very interesting scene because he, he doesn't really answer like, like his response is interesting, but I read that scene like, yes, I do. And then I hate myself even more because I can't leave you. Right. Right. And whenever, she, whenever she goes to say, well, I hate you when he's like, no, I didn't ask you <laughs> because he can't stand to hear it. Right. Like he can't stand to hear her say, well, I hate you when you do this. Right. So, I mean, honestly, I think if I was like forced to boil it down to like the simplest terms, it would be this movie is like an examination of two dysfunctional people who somehow belong together because without the other one, like there's something missing. Mm. And, and like you said, talking about your father's relationship, they fight constantly, but they're still together. I mean, that is just the way it is sometimes. It's just, uh, I don't think there's any explanation for a relationship like that, honestly, yeah. like in terms of, uh, of, of why something works. Right. If, if any of that makes sense. No, no, no yeah. I think that's, um, yeah, no, I think that's that's one of the great things about this movie um, and movies like this. You know, she she gets a lot of Renoir comparisons because I feel like you can, you know, you can really dive in and kind of like both. Like, I feel like you could watch this movie and have two conflicting views of their relationship 
and both of them kind of be right and both of them be wrong because it's just a really complex portrait of, you know, the ways in which we, we couple up, you know? No, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly my reaction. You've just summed it up. (laughs) All right. So let's, let's move on to, uh, to the last film here that we're going to be talking about Tony Erdman. I, I I think Tony Erdman is probably one of the five or six best movies uh, to come out in the past 10 years. Um, I I think it's, I mean, I, I feel like you take, this is me personally speaking. Like I I feel like you take the complexity of everyone else and you boil Mm -hmm. it or you blow it up to be about a, you know, a father daughter relationship and, to be about kind of um, the state of the world for lack of a better word, and specifically the state of, of the changing state of Europe and right. to be about the emerging of neoliberalism and the impossibility of trying to be, you know, quote unquote good in a capitalist society or being happy in a capitalist yeah. society. And I don't know, this movie to me is just about everything um, all at once. Um, and um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think of it? You said, uh, Mike, you said you like everyone else a little bit better than, than Tony Erdman. Is that right? I mean, yeah, a little bit. It's not that it's not a huge, they're both, I think, great. Um, they're like, I'm, I'm, I tend to be a very, uh, tough critic in many ways. Right. So I forget like, uh, and they came out technically different decades, didn't they? Yeah. Everyone else is 2009. So I don't have them on the same list, but I'm pretty sure if you, had me put together a list of my top, you know, 20 or 30 films of the century so far, they would both be on it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I love them both <laughs> a lot. Um, and then forest for the trees. I like very much, but not quite at that same rarefied level. Sure. Um, and I was very excited. Tony Ehrman was the one that I had been wait. I mean, it, there was a seven year gap between everyone else and Tony Erdman. And then, they finally announced that it was probably going to be at Cannes that year. That was this was back when I still went to Cannes, and um, and it was originally going to be an uncertain regard. And then at the last minute, they moved it into competition, and that made me even more excited. And then, so I got to see the world premiere at Cannes, which really was a phenomenal experience. The oh, uh, wow. the the uh, Whitney Houston scene in particular brought the house down in a way that <laughs> has been rare i've rarely had a crowd go that nuts <laughs> in a theater um when and to say, a certain extent the party as well but especially the the karaoke scene when you say nuts i, I guess i'm wondering is, like i know people uh, like are like cheer sometimes are they cheering yeah. Or they laughing? oh yes yeah 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 that 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 happens more often at can than you might think right um people hear about the booing a lot but and there right. is a fair amount of of booing um but there's also just like like really the actually the single most rapturous response to any film that I've personally experienced was the the entire closing credit sequence of Dogville at Cannes, where the oh. crowd just went insane. I've never I've never seen anything like that since. Rapturous. Uh, oh yeah. No, that that was really the the reaction to Dogville world premiere was as if everyone had just seen a towering masterpiece, one of the like 10 greatest movies ever made. That was what it sounded like. Holy shit. And that was not the reaction. If you were then to look at like the reviews that came out, it was, you know, there were definitely a lot of dissenting voices, but the people who loved, and I was one of them, the people who loved that movie, loved that movie and really thought they had just just seen something absolutely mind blowing. I think that was like my third favorite film of that decade, as I recall. 
or somewhere up there. But um, yeah, so no, they uh, yeah, there was cheering and applause and just laughter and the the whole sequence. I mean, the more she belts it out, the the more crazy the audience went. And it's a huge audience. I mean, those films screen in in theaters that hold two three thousand people, so it's it's overwhelming. Yeah, I mean that scene. I mean, she is going for it is not the word for yeah. what. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know, John. What did you think about Tony Airman? I know you said it was your uh, your least favorite. Is that right? Yeah, you know, I don't know, man. Like, I watched this one first, right. and then, like I said, worked my way back to the other two. Um, and I, I laughed a lot, but I found it to be more on like the depressing side in a lot of aspects. And I know that comes down to like personal viewpoints. Sure. Um, uh, so honestly, yeah, this is my least favorite of the three and it's not even close. Hmm. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm missing something because obviously this movie's incredibly popular. Like you guys love it. I've done some research on the reviews it got and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know if I'm missing something. It's definitely going to be rewatched because I'm going to have to kind of, go over it again and maybe it was my mindset at the time or my mood or something. I'm not sure because I do kind of feel like I'm on the outs with this movie. Did you go in expecting that it was going to be like a broad comedy? Is that the problem? Yeah, I think what had happened like that kind of skewed my perspective a bit was I got a text from Jacob and he was like, Tony Erdman's like one of the funniest movies ever made. And I'm like, Oh hell yeah. Like I'm super pumped for like a good comedy. Been watching a lot of dramas lately. I'm down to laugh. And then I put this movie on and I'm like, hey, don't blame this on me. I'm not necessarily blaming it on you. I got to say that, but that like, is not how I would describe this movie to someone. As, as funny as it often is, I would not say this is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Well, like, you know, no, I mean, I minor spoilers, go watch the movie listeners if you haven't. But I mean, when he goes to check on his dog and his dog's dead, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, at what fucking point <laughs> did you think this was the greatest comedy ever made, Jacob? Look, 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 like, look, 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 look. I, look. All right. Obviously, you know, when the fucking dog dies, I wasn't like <laughs> rip roaring, you know, like uh, in laughter. But I, I look, I, this movie to me is as funny as something like it's a mad, mad, mad world. It's so chock full of comedy. Like, I don't I don't know. I, I Like, I, I'm not discounting. Like, I'm not like. I'm not saying this is like the tone of this like dumb and dumber or something like, but like just for pure, like cringe comedy, like, and, and like the, the, the actor who, who plays her father, Tony, his just deadpan reactions and kind of like his defeated, like, <laughs> like whenever he does like one of these gags that he does. Right. And then he like goes, uh, yeah, sorry. That was just a joke. Like, <laughs> And you and you kind of get used to like like after the third or fourth time you get used to him like taking his teeth out right. and slipping them back in his pocket because he's like okay I can read the room right like right that's what I mean like it's like it, it, like it, it it builds on itself to where like yeah the fact that him taking his teeth out and putting them in his pocket is funny whereas like it wasn't funny in like minute five but it's funny in minute like a hundred and twelve you know like I don't know it just builds on itself to the point where it's just and finally, her reaction, like, it's almost like a, like, you know, I know the term is sitcom, but it's almost like the situation of it is is even funnier because, like, at a certain point, she's just like, all right, fuck it. Yeah, okay, sure. This is Tony Erdman. He's a fucking ambassador to Germany. I don't give a shit. Like, 
<laughs> I mean, and it's but it's the same thing that I've been saying about the complexity about all of her work, and it's it's funny and it's sad right. at the same time, right. and almost in the same measure. And the and the 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 sense in which that's most true in this film, I think. Um, and I had forgotten about this. I had to. I went back and reread some of my old writing about these films to remind myself of what I thought because I haven't seen them in a while. Um, and the whole sequence toward the end where she gets frustrated about not being able to get out of her dress and so eventually just ends up getting naked and trying to convince all of the guests at her party that it's now a naked party and they should also be naked and some people <laughs> comply and some don't. And that whole thing is pretty hilarious and got huge laughs when I saw it both at Cannes and in Toronto with audiences. At the same time, though, not long before that in the film, there's a scene that's not funny at all in which she very frankly tells her father that she's thinking about killing herself. Right. And I interpret that whole, her impulse at that moment feels symbolically suicidal to me. I feel like it's part of that same mindset that she was in earlier. It's been reinterpreted in a way that's uproariously funny, right? but it's fundamentally sad at the same time. And that's again, what makes Ade's movie so special. Right. Right. I mean, look, I, um, I stand by it. I, I stand by it. I don't care what anybody says. I like, this is like, this, this is the kind of movie where like you have funny, like movies have funny parts, right? Like, yeah. Like, like, especially like, you know, like very broad comedy in some ways, like, um, like whenever the guy, her boss comes in and is scared by the, her father in the Bulgarian suit, like that's <laughs> just, it's just like a jump scare. And it's just hilarious seeing this naked man be terrified of this giant costume and then he goes it's hardcore like <laughs> like that's really funny but also like it's it's one of the situations where i felt like i was just constantly laughing and constantly like smiling or thinking this is funny because like the whole thing was funny like yeah like you know what i mean it's like it's like the vibe is funny and of course that that rug gets snatched out from under you when the dog dies or when she said she's gonna kill herself or you know a, a, a numerous times but like I don't know. I just feel like the situations are so hilarious that I felt like I was just like laughing the whole way through. I don't know. I stand by it. I think it's, I think it's an absolutely uproarious comedy, but you know, while still respecting and still acknowledging the, uh, you know, the compl- the character complexities of it and whatever, like it's, you know, now I, I just have one question uh, um, uh, about a certain scene. Now, there's different ways to read into it. It could be like, obviously some sort of power dynamic specifically in like this, in this uh, world that she lives in as a consultant and the dynamic between men and women and stuff like that. But the scene in the hotel room Uh, when she eats a certain pastry, um, (laughs) after some other things happen, trying to stay as spoiler free as possible. Right. What, what was that scene? Like, does anyone have any insight about what that scene was? No, <laughs> I, I honestly don't. That's, that's actually one of the more sort of confounding moments in the movie that I have always had trouble integrating. So I'm not surprised that you ask about it. <laughs> it's, it I will say it doesn't feel out of place to me. It makes emotional sense in that moment. But at the same time, I don't know that I have a coherent explanation for what it's doing there. 
but the, the way that I looked at it was like I, I thought like I mean I, I literally like just thinking about it like what you said in the context of the you know the party and that it's kind of horrifying and sad but it's also very funny like I thought like oh well this is just like a kind of a portrait of her just like uh lonely sex life in a way like she doesn't she doesn't even really want to be touched by this guy she just right. kind of like gets off by kind of humiliating him and then I don't know. It's almost like uh, it's almost just kind of like a portrait of a very unsatisfying slash dysfunctional sex life or whatever. But on the surface, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, but it's fucking hilarious. The man yeah. ejaculates on a pedophore. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Like, that's I that's, mean, that's, you could argue that it's high level humor, you know, you, I guess you could argue that it's really just part and parcel of of setting her up as the kind of person who you would not expect when told to sing along with greatest love of all to just <laughs> go with it and belt it out at 100% right. enthusiasm. Um, so maybe it's just as simple as that. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's well, all I know is, um, you know, for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be suspect anytime you tell me how funny a movie is. <laughs> um so I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is from now on. Look, whatever, man. I don't care. Because I, I really did. I really did put this movie on expecting to like take me back to the days of, of, of laughing at Dumb and Dumber right. or something. Um, Look, maybe, so, maybe this is like a personal yeah. pathology of mine because like I, I read this interview with Matthew Weiner, the, the creator of Mad Men, who I uh, think kind of worship and think is a genius. And he said this thing where like he said someone said to him like he thinks everything is funny. And like he kind of like owns up to it. He's like, I think every scene in Mad Men is funny. Like it's like even though other people don't. And like I feel like that is like a window into my soul that like I think everything in this movie is absolutely hilarious. And I, I'm honestly afraid of what that says about me. But hey, it is what it is. You know, the it's, heart wants what it wants, and I well, I mean, want more calculate on more pastries. You know. I just, I'll agree with you. I think we all have certain sensibilities like that, but it's all very subjective. I uh, yeah. I am quoted on the poster which I have uh, framed in my apartment uh, or house. I guess is whatever I'm in. Um, anyway, the poster for Kiyoshi Kurosawa's movie Pulse. I'm quoted. Pull quoted on. That. Just did an episode. Did, just really? did that on an episode. I will have to listen to that. I am I am pull quoted on the poster for that film that came out in. 2005 or whenever it came out in the US. It says Mike D'Angelo the most scared or most frightened I've ever been in a movie theater, which is true. Um that I actually seriously considered leaving the theater at the Toronto Film Festival when I saw it there because one scene in particular terrified me so much that it was like I was like if it's going to get worse from here, I don't know that I can handle it. But that's so subjective and I have many friends who don't find that movie frightening at all and don't understand why I do. So it's you know yeah, how this I, is going to translate from one person to another. And I think like with horror and comedy, like there's no there's no two genres where that's more apparent. Yeah. Like I know there, I know there's only a handful of genres and that's a big percentage of them, but still I think that especially like when when it comes to what each of us think are scary or what we think is funny, like I think that's uh that's huge. 
Uh, well, I have to ask since you uh, since you uh, like thought that movie was scary. What did you think of the American remake? Just real quick. Never saw it. I, I that was a perfect example of something where I knew that was going to be terrible, and then the reviews. Yeah, it was so bad. Suggested that it was, so <laughs> yeah. I stayed far away. But yeah, it was it was beyond awful. So I was just curious. Yeah, no, the, I mean you can just see like that the the Kurosawa film is so Japanese, like. In, 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 its, oh, in yeah. its bones, it's Japanese in a way that just there's no way that you could translate that to a, an American context and have it work at all. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's I think Paul's is, I mean, equally as um, sort of unique and auteurist, uh, like as as, you know, Tony Erdman or Force Majeure, you know, mm-hmm. like it, the the sensibility is so completely unique and different that it's like, what is what is really even the point of the American you know remake? Mm-hmm. Like, we, let's just, you know just have something in in name only you know now out of curiosity when i say that there was one scene in particular that made me want to flee the theater can you guess which scene that was i was i was actually i've been thinking about it since you said that and uh i don't i don't know jacob do you know i for me i know me personally um the uh jumping off the building was particularly shocking but also i could see maybe the uh the gunshot, um, the police officer. I don't know. No, it's 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 the it's the woman in that one room who starts walking toward him very slowly while he's kind of crouched behind the sofa or whatever it is. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. and, and yeah. that sort of like weird little sort of stumble that she does, and it's hard to describe exactly why I find that. So part of it is just, and this is something that I share with my friend, uh, another critic, Allison Wilmore, where it's just like for whatever reason, both of us are terrified by just being sort of like somebody coming implacably toward you, which is why we were both freaked out by it follows <laughs> throughout. Um, but it's right. that sort of thing where I just, there's an, there's an otherworldliness to that moment and the way that it's shot and acted and scored. And it's just, it feels irrational in a way that just makes every hair on my body stand on end. And, and I didn't know what was going to happen and really nothing happens, right. you know, she just kind of stares at him and then it cuts to the next scene and like nobody dies or anything, but although he's traumatized and other things do happen later, but, um, but it still freaked me out to such a degree. And it only happens about midway through the film. So I was like, if it's going to get worse from here, I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I really seriously thought about leaving. It's the only time I've yeah, no, ever I... felt that way. I agree with you. There's something, uh, and it follows as a great example because that movie was fucking great, but also it was so terrifying. There's something about this unrelenting force yeah. just, just moving towards you. And it's even worse when there's like a stop motion element, if done well, or like a stumble element, there's just yeah. something so disconcerting about that. Yeah. I think it's like, it reminds me of uh, when we, we, we did a, you know, well, we did a lot of horror content for Halloween, but we were talking about the the thing and like um, there's this, there's Kim Morgan, I think wrote a great, ex- a great uh, essay on the, uh, the thing where she talks about this feeling of horror when it's like, what are these guys going to do? You know, like there, there is an element of hopelessness in something like the thing or uh, pulse, especially where it's like, there's no running from this, you right. know, like, you, like, what are you going to do? And the answer of course is like nothing. You're going to be subsumed by, by the, whatever it is that's chasing you, just kind of like it follows. And yeah. there's something just elemental and horrifying about that. And like, 
there's no killing it. There's no Jason to kill. There's no Michael Myers to arrest. It's there, it, it's coming, you know, no yeah. matter what. And that, there's something really horrifying about that. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, too, is the same idea. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. They, they put a happy ending on the 56 version, but that was a studio imposed. It was not supposed to end that way. Right. So. All right. Well, I think we've... Uh, I think this is uh, this is a sign that we may need to uh, to cut it off here. We don't want to keep you too long, um, but uh, yeah. Anything else, uh, Mike D'Angelo? Anything else you got uh, on Marin Marin Ade? Um, mm, not that I can think of. I would just encourage you know if there are people out there listening who have not seen all or or God forbid any of these films, you know they're all out there to be found somewhere. I think seek them out, and uh, right. you will be. Hopefully, I mean, you know, everybody's taste is different, but I, I don't know. I don't have many friends who are not a fan of at least one of them. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the rare pleasures of, you know, cinephilia is anticipating a work by a major director and it being paid off. Yeah. You know, um, like as opposed to like watching everything like like from the past that you've heard is good. You know, like there's some pleasure right. in being like. I love Wes Anderson. The Grand Budapest Hotel is coming out in theaters. I went and saw it. I loved it. You know, there, there's something special about that. Um, and I feel like Marin Day, that's a perfect example. Like, watch her three movies and eagerly anticipate the fourth, which I'm sure will not be disappointing uh, whatsoever. So, yeah. What about you, John? You got anything else? Any final word on uh, on uh, Marin Day? Not really. I'm just glad that uh, that Mike, you picked her and it allowed me to kind of catch up on, especially with Tony Erdman being on my list for so long. It's just that it seems like with movies, our list continuously grows of things we need to watch mm. and uh, and things get pushed to the back. But I am so glad that I was able to watch her three films and now I'm super excited for her four. I mean, I got to so. say, I started watching movies seriously when I was probably about 17 18 years old i am now 52 and there are still so many major films that i've still not seen right i just i just the other night got around to watching how to get ahead in advertising which i have been wanting to see for about 30 years now <laughs> like somehow just never had an opportunity or never got around to it and the other night was finally the night it's on the criterion channel and watched it didn't love it but it was it's just like there are so many films like that that are still waiting for me and it's exciting that even after watching two three hundred films a year for decades it's still there's still so much more out there to discover i love it i mean this is coming oh from yeah a person who has uh i just looked it up eight thousand seven hundred and eighty four films uh, right. that you've seen as listed on letterboxd um, that, sh that should be pretty comprehensive actually i think i have actually in put because i created a list of every film i'd ever seen and i did it when i was quite young when i was probably like 18 or 19 and wow. i could actually remember i didn't include stuff that i saw when i was a very small child because i had fuzzy memories but everything else so that list is pretty pretty complete and so i'm, I'm coming up on nine thousand. <laughs> hey to have that many and still feel like there's uh, there's even more out there that's um you know that's so a gift more. Way. yeah plus as you get older you feel like you need to rewatch everything a right. second time. <laughs> like right. I'm watching so many films that I saw once 25 years ago and have only a dim memory of and, and really needed to watch again because right. I don't even remember what I thought. Folks, the takeaway movies, they're pretty good. Give yeah. them a shot. <laughs> uh, 
check them out. Uh, Mike, you got anything else to plug other than your uh, your essential website, The Man Who Viewed Too Much? Folks, you can find everything there. Patreon, all of his writing, uh, links to social media. You got anything else you want to plug, Mike? I mean, I would just throw in a, a good word for the Patreon account, which is incredibly cheap if you just want the reviews. Um, there are other tiers if you want to, like, I do a weekly poll where people can vote uh, for which film. Like, I, I do one review per week that is viewer chosen or our patron chosen. Um, so if you want to suggest films for me to review, that costs a little more. If you want to vote, that costs less. Um, but if you just want to read my writing as soon as it is hot off the press, that costs a dollar a month, which you won't even notice missing from yeah. your bank account. So uh, I would encourage people to do that if they enjoy my work. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. Otherwise the AV club is where most of my professional writing happens these days. Hell yeah. Yeah, join the club. 504 patrons. Folks, people are enjoying his work. You could be one of them, too. Yeah. All right. Well, Mike, thanks. Thanks for joining us. This was great. Uh, John, you got anything else? No, uh, just uh, thanks a lot, Mike. We appreciate you coming on and taking the time. You're welcome back anytime. And uh, we'll make sure all of your information is in the show notes. So, guys, make sure you check that out. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Thanks thanks so much.